A lot of people are watching along with us. Things are going to be taken a lot further. It does keep the flow really, really nicely, which makes it a show that was really ahead of its time. Where's that petrified eyeball at now? Who's had it last? Macy is amazing, and she doesn't care about what other people think about her. Don't you feel like maybe Dodie represents the instinctive animal ugly part of us? I might have just been having a bad day when I gave it the mat. I killed Caprice, Priest, Priest. We don't say Moses, we say me. Someone once told me the grass is much greener on the other side. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of We're In Between, the podcast that discusses about every single episode of As Told by Ginger once a week. I am Patricia. I'm Ashley. And unfortunately, Casey is unable to join us. He is currently at dress rehearsal over at the Tonys, so um, we will definitely miss him, and I'm sure that he would have loved to have been here because we actually have a bonus podcast, and we have ourselves a very special guest. We have writer, producer, director, and uh, he worked alongside various Klasky Chupo shows, including, as told by Ginger, we have Mr. Eric Casimiro. Eric, welcome to We're In Between. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. So, um, I guess we can start things off um, with a question. I was just wondering, um, where did you get your influences for writing? um, I think it's just osmosis of growing up in, I grew up in the 70s with most, with watching a lot of adult TV, like all the great comedies. And I think that just influenced me. Um, And my first job was working for Lorne Michaels. So I would spend seven years in the sort of Broadway video, Lorne Michaels world. Um, where you just sort of get, um, you know, learn what's good comedy and what's good producing and what's good storytelling. And, uh, and yeah, voila. So, wow, Lauren Michaels. Was this like during his SNL days or was this before? No, this was during. So I, I started around the era that um, I started working for Broadway Video, which was his production company, around the same time that Mike Myers joined and started doing Wayne's World because I was one of the junior development executives who did Wayne's, the Wayne's World movie um, and de- developed that internally. Um, so, so you know, we are a very small company, but we also acquired a lot of libraries, a lot of kids' things like Frosty and Rudolph and all those shows. And I ended up becoming sort of the, the kids' guy there and sort of I uh, sort of managed, you know, restoration of old Felix the Cats and stuff. So I had the comedy stuff I was doing as well as the kids' stuff, and that's where it sort of came together. Awesome. Uh, Ashley, do you have a question? Um, sure, I guess... I'm not sure exactly all the things. Uh, I know you said your favorite episode was obviously Gym Class Confidential, but I guess aside from that, what would be your favorite episode that you wrote for As Told by Ginger? Uh, you know, you like different children for different reasons. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, and I can't spoil it, but the wedding frame at the very end is something that I that I wrote with with Emily, and um, and that was incredibly special. And because you know, I I found this project uh, from an animation uh, screenwriting competition that we hosted, and that's how I met Emily, and this is where that project came from, and and so it was very special. So there's something very emotional about writing that what we were pretty sure were going to be the last episodes of the series for Nickelodeon. Awesome. 
I actually have a question. So how did you eventually work with Klasky Chupo? When we bought all those Christmas classics that I mentioned, part of the renegotiation for the for the broadcast license at CBS, we managed to get CBS to fund a new Frosty the Snowman. And I was a huge Devo uh, fan during uh, college. And so, of course, I reached out to Mark Mothersbaugh to do the music for that. And we we had a great time and did that. And then he introduced me to Arlene and Gabor, Arlene Klasky, Gabor Chupo, because he was just starting Rugrats. And then I had under option while with Lauren, this really great underground comic called Girly Girl. And we partnered, Broadway Video and Klasky Chupo partnered on the development of that, which unfortunately didn't get picked up nor funded. But like a year went by and they called me in New York to ask if I wanted to come be the run the studio creatively. And uh, I moved. That's when I moved back from New York back to, uh, to L.A. I, I know that, you know, like you were saying before about like every episode that you wrote for was like a different child. But I was just curious that out of the shows on Klasky Chuba that you worked on, which one did you know you had the most fun with or was like the most enjoyable for you? Oh, without question, as told by Chincher. I mean, I was very proud of the Wild Thornberries, which had, you know, that was something that I developed from the ground up. And the Rugrats I inherited, um, it had been out of production for uh, a year or so and wasn't a success. And then suddenly ratings took off. And it was around that time that I was hired to do Rugrats. And while I love that show and those kids are like strangely my children, and I think I should see a psychiatrist that sometimes. Um, <laughs> Ginger was the one that was really personal. I mean, Emily was brand new. Um, the, the, pro the original project that we, we optioned was really different. And a lot of what's in the show really came from my life as well. I mean, Emily and I just really shared our lives. Hoodsy, in fact, is really based on one of my childhood friends who we called Hoodsy. And I'm still friends with after, uh, you know, uh, more than 30 years, 35 years. And Carl was very much like me as a kid. <laughs> uh, so, in fact, I, I, those were I, my, of all the scripts I wrote, I typically had more fun with their storyline. And I know you guys didn't love uh, like I Spy a Witch, but the idea of them bringing back someone from the dead just cracked me up. I loved writing every single one of their storylines because they're just so odd and the odder the better really sure um how about you Ashley do you have another question sure uh sounds kind of a vague one for you but if you happen to have any whatever your favorite sort of behind the scenes story from as told by ginger that you've got Oh, wow, I hadn't thought of that one. That's a good question. Uh, that I, I'm sure I'm going to wake up at 2 in the morning and say, oh, no, yeah, it sure. was this. <laughs> nothing really comes to mind. You know, it was really, it was a time when our Klasky Chupo had a, an overall deal with Nickelodeon, and we had to present to Nickelodeon a lot of shows in a year for potential pickup. That was part of the deal they made. And it was really hard to, it, it, a lot goes into developing a show, and to have to just, developed 10 of them a year was really complicated this one came in and when i first read it it was very different as i said like courtney and her gaggle were a multi-headed creature they weren't even really separate girls and there was no younger brother there was no carl there's no here and just worked with with emily and shaping that we went into the i went into nickelodeon and i said 
to then Kevin Kay, who was the head of production development, I said, I want to do Welcome to the Dollhouse for Nickelodeon, like the Nickelodeon version of that. And that's what the show is. And that's where we started. That was that starting point. And they were super supportive. And, and I, you know, I often think that it would be really impossible to make this show today because there aren't broadcasters that are that daring and willing to go after something that is really um, doesn't fit the mold of everything else that's on their air for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even, you know, we've said so in the podcast about how this show was completely different than what a Nicktoon was previously. Like, if you look back from 1991 to when Estobo Ginger debuted, it was mostly or all of them were comedic. They all had gags or they all had uh-huh. featured, a, you know, like adult jokes or, you know, and every single one of them, you know, they were, you know, they did have their own unique qualities, but they all focused on like, okay, we're going to be focusing on making people laugh as opposed to making people feel like they can relate to the characters. And, of course, um, you know, Casey, Ashley, and I, we always talk about how great the continuity was. Like, you know, if you want to be able to see the richness of the story, you watch the first episode onward and you get to even hear, like, little bits and pieces about how they bring things back and how uh, Mm. plot points that you think would be minuscule is actually going to be big in, like, a later season or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was, and it really hats to Emily. This was her first project, and she, and what was great is she was such a fresh voice, and she was, we, we would laugh, we had so many laughs making the show, uh, because we just, um, we shared so much. We even had writers' tables where people shared stories of from their childhood. We just like, and it was really. Um, we found like I always think that comedy should make you think as well. It just shouldn't be there to be funny. And that's what we were trying to do with this show: is that it was about something real, and but at the same time, you know, the quirkiness was what made it funny. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we had Jared Faber uh, on uh, the podcast a few months ago. And mm-hmm. we were talking to him about the music in As Told by Ginger, and he said that you were the one who came up with the little Seal Girl song? Yeah. And in fact, in one of the more surreal moments of my life, uh, I had a, a birthday party in Los Angeles, and my friend in Washington invited a man on stilts who showed up showed up at our house and sang the little Seal Girl song. <laughs> and, and Jackie's there in the crowd, and she's like singing along suddenly looking like Macy as she's watching this man on stilt. It was the most surreal thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we always like, there's a lot of, that it was always fun to write songs. I, I wrote one, I don't know if you've gotten to it called You Bounced. Um, uh, that was one that, uh, I, I, I'm not sure with the order, forgive me. It's been so long. So I, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but, um, but yeah, Jared, in fact, I have continued to work with Jared to this day. He just wrote a theme song for a brand new show I have on on Sprout that premieres next month. I mean, Jared, because of this project, too, there are so many people that we will always work together because it was just such um, it was just amazing talent, really. Yeah, and one of the things all the people we've interviewed seem to say is how well you guys all seem to get along and how it was sort of a, I don't know if family is the right word, but just like it was an experience being around each other. It was a wicked cool drama club, is what it was. It was just like where we got paid. It was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, it was really great. And, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, I, I always believe that 
good things come out of innocence. And, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, sometimes some the inventions are pretty fresh. And I think that had a lot that really definitely came to be. All right. Um, okay. So, Ashley, do you have any other questions? Um, not specifically. I know we've got a few of the forum ones as well, so I want to leave room for those. Absolutely. We actually have a lot of questions from the forums. And you know what? The good news is, is that there are no spoiler questions. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because... Oh, I have to drop out. Yeah, okay, because, really? yeah, because pretty much every single question that we've had, every time we've had a guest over, we had to drop them out because, you know, they would write a question about us from season three. But nope, we have pretty, you know, spoiler-free questions. So, hooray. All right, so let's start things off. Uh, let's start off with the We're In Between forums. Um, okay, so we'll start off with Pink Dolphin 92 and she asks, who's your favorite character on the show? Uh, I think it's Hoodsy. It's fair. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he's dimensional. He's not just a whiner. I mean, he was just, um, he, he's, he, again, is such a special, I love those characters that will, will, they, he clearly idolizes Carl, and he's as loyal as a friend can ever be. But he also can get a little prickly. He is Joanne's son, after all, and Joanne's not an easy uh, mom. And uh, no. <laughs> also based on another friend's mother who once driving us to the mall said, I have a good mind to charge you for gas and oil. Oh my God, I'm your, I'm your son's friend. I'm just riding in the car, really? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Really, art imitates life way more than the other way around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Me and Casey have a podcast called the Friday Night Nicktoons Podcast, and we had a one where we discussed our top five favorite secondary characters. And I don't remember where, but I know Hoodsy was on Casey's list. So, All right, uh, we have another question from Norbert, and he says, Hello, Eric. Um, and we already answered this question before about what his second favorite episode of Us Told by Ginger that he's ever written, which was The Wedding Frame. And uh, anyway, where, and here's another one. Were there any episodes you wrote based on any personal experience you had growing up? So any others that you'd like to mention? Um, am I, am I, I can't remember the order. So um, Ashley, cover your ears. Um, okay. Well. Have you watched Losing Nana Bishop yet? Yes, they have. That was basically my life. And, 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 and once again, I got clocked by my own brother. It was like, oh, my God, you did not tell that story. But um, I had one grandmother who I wasn't terribly fond of. And so when she passed, I was like, oh, sadness, more sad for, you know, my mom. Hope she doesn't listen to the podcast. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was like one of those things. I was like, huh. And I thought, well, that's the starting point. And, of course, through the occasion, I came to find the, the real loss in it. And I, I sort of got past that sort of thing that I had. But um, but it was putting Hoodie through that I thought would be really great because, um, you know, uh, he, he's the one who will sort of bear his soul that way. Okay. He also asks, uh, were you inspired to write any episodes? Oh, yeah. You um yeah, I think you already answered this question. Were you inspired to write any episodes based off of something that happened to you when you were young? If so, what were the episodes and how did you, they base off of your experiences? I think you've already partially answered yeah. the question. Yeah, I mean, I think almost, I, you, we could point to almost every episode and there was something one of us shared, whether it was Emily or Kate or myself, about our childhood, honestly. Everything from, you know, and, you know, yeah. I, I, again, I don't want to spoil, and I think that one's a later episode, so zip, zip. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, has Emily made any slight changes or told you to do something to any episode that you've written? Are there any small lines of dialogue that would not be in an episode oh. you wrote if it not had been for Emily? Oh, totally. Like Emily was is a great joke writer and can and she would punch up and offer suggestions as I would for her too. We were very fluid that way. We would, you know, just throw out a pitch and if it was funny, you know, the rule was if it's funny, it doesn't matter who met it, it gets in the script. You know, there's no pride of authorship on those things. So we'd all help each other. Um but yeah, she helps me quite a lot on this one about the the content of the films that you would watch in film class because of course I saw the boy version. So I was a little lost. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yeah, um, we always sort of threw jokes around. I mean, that's in the nature of, of a production anyway. Uh, let's see, he has another question. Um, has Emily told you to write an episode with a concept? Did she tell you, Eric, I'd like you to write an episode about where Ginger, Dodie, and Macy have to watch a puberty video for gym class, and meanwhile, Carl and Hosey have to deal with the new gym teacher no. or something like that? No, we would sit in a room with a bulletin board and and uh, note cards, and we would pretty much and invite writers in. And everyone, the way it normally would work is a writer would pitch an idea for a show that they would like to write, and then we would say, "Oh, okay. Well, what if you change this?" And we would shape it with them in the room, and then they go away. But there was never a time that Emily. Or, nor I were dictatorial. I mean, it was one of those working relationships that are a dream and don't happen as often, sadly, as you would like them to, to happen because it was really special. Okay. And finally, one more question from Norbert. He says, are you still in contact with anyone who worked on As Told by Ginger, like Emily or any of the writers or voice actors? Yeah, almost all of them. I mean, uh, Emily, of course, and Jared, who I just mentioned. And I mean, since the show, Jared did the Mr. Men show for me, and we wrote a ton of songs, and he wrote all the music. He wrote, uh, as I said, the, the new theme song for a show I just did. So we stay and we work a lot together. Uh, Jackie and I still work together. Jeannie Elias, the voice of Carl, uh, we've used. We can't afford Tress McNeil anymore. She's so expensive. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I but, can uh, imagine. I, on, on my, like, you know, on the kind of European budget shows that I have, it's, it's a different day than there were in the 90s, that's for sure. But we all, we all stayed in touch, and the writers, uh, many of them, you know, it was, it was a special time. And, you know, the kids' business also is like a public pool. Everyone swims at it at some point, and sometimes someone's in it when you're in it, sometimes not. And Mark Risley and I have done two different projects across, you know, 10 years together. And, you know, just we all come in and out of each other's lives pretty regularly. It's nice. Yeah, that's great. Here, um, I've got one from Jason. Uh, he says... Hello, thanks for doing this. I'm an aspiring screenwriter myself, so it's great to hear from someone who has found success in this industry. Uh, first, I wanted to congratulate you on work done on this show. And then the question is, um, when making the show, a lot of the stories were groundbreaking and pushed the boundaries of writing and animation. Were there any stories, however, that you wanted to tell in this universe but were unable to for one reason or another? If so, what were those plots? Oh my gosh. Well, first, thank you for the compliments. Um... Secondly, it's been so long, I fear my memory fails me. There's always storylines that you try to do and you can't. But we were, I, the thing about this show, and again, it, it's a testament to Nickelodeon. They were so brave 
And so um, as long as the writing was good and, and you know, we, we had the very great honor of being nominated a couple of times in the writing category or sorry, in the primetime animation category where, you know, those are Simpsons and South Park in that category. And this was a show written for six to nine year olds. So it was kind of impressive that Nickelodeon gave us the the freedom to really tell stories that were not like anything else being told on, on the air at that time. And, um, and, and really supported the creative so wholly, I, I really couldn't say enough. It was really a testament to them. There's also, on a writing note, what sorts of things inspired the tone and dialogue of the show when writing it? Um, it was, we, we were conscious to not do the sort of sitcom kind of um uh formula or rhythm you know where a sitcom often you call it the button there's often the wah wah joke at the last last line of the scene before you move to the next scene and we really wanted it to feel like independent cinema that was even the brief i gave to the producer mark and and all the directors i was like don't be afraid to treat this like you know, like a Wes Anderson film, like just go for it and and have fun and and you can see it. Like there's so like it, I I rewatched Jim Class this morning because it'd been so long and there's so many times that Brandon Higsby's posing is so funny and yes. and they would never like normally that would be cut for economic reasons or someone say well it's distracting but that was the kind of detail that the um the teams put into the show that really made it feel like like nothing else really he has one last one which is i also want to know if you think the writing style and tone of as told by ginger influences anything you've seen on tv today i don't think so i mean emily obviously what what tone there was in the show that came from emily is a tone she has carried with her which is why i love her shows um you know, uh, whether it was Emily's Reasons Why Not or Suburgatory or Selfie. I mean, there's a certain, um, like, not not afraid to be a little raw with feelings that I love about her writing. Um, but I don't, I think what, and in fact, after watching the show again this morning, it, I got a little nostalgic because so the business has changed with, with all the different ways kids are watching media now and the, the there's not as much risk taking being done maybe outside of netflix and amazon and and if hbo did more in kids space maybe they too would but but really like all the major the nickelodeons they don't kind of go here they go to this more sitcommy thing now that doesn't feel as real to me unfortunately yeah i wish we had an equivalent a modern day as told by ginger but definitely i I haven't seen anything that really encapsulates it for kids nowadays either. So yeah, we have a question from DJ and he asks, Hi Eric, thank you for helping make As Told by Ginger the masterpiece that it is. That's so sweet. But are there any episodes that you've written that you think could have been better? Oh, almost every one, for sure. Um, in fact, I, I rewrote the line today that, you know, you always you always think of like how the joke would be better. But when Miranda's in furious about Courtney, when she says, why'd you throw up on my shoes? Why can't you throw up on their, hers or hers? And really, the last night should have been hers or on him. And that would have been much funnier. But uh, uh, you always think there's always stuff you want you want to fix and polish. But um, to use a great Lauren Michael line, 
um, the show goes on, not because it's ready, but because it's 1130. And, um, and, you know, in production, you can't, you, there's a select amount of time that you have. You don't really have extra time to fix and change. You, it ha- it's an industrial machine. And so there's always something you want to fix later, for sure. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Mr. Men, the, the Mr. Men show, he also says, I, also, I know that you worked on stuff like the Mr. Men show and that Fred cartoon alongside as told by Ginger Staff, <laughs> like Kay Bootsier and Mark Grizzly. What were those like? Yeah, well, Mr. Men, well, Kate and I worked very closely while she was at Klasky. She was really the voice behind the Wild Thornberries, and I brought her on to the Rugrat movies to fix them in the end when we needed just, like, one big polish. We became writing partners uh, after I left Klasky, and we produced together, and that's how we did Mr. Men. And strangely, um, we were both brought to Paris to work on another project for our company, and um, at dinner, this person, the producer said, hey, do you know the Mr. Men books? And strangely, one of the last things I tried to do like 12 years prior when I worked for Lauren Michaels was get the rights to Mr. Men because I thought that would be a perfect Broadway video show because it's a perfect sketch comedy show. Mr. Happy and Mr. Grumpy go fishing. I mean, you know, duh, it's so easy. And so... Um, so I told her that story and suddenly from that was we were in Paris in July and by September we were writing the first series of Mr. Man. I've never done something so fast, but I I clearly thought a lot about it like so many years prior. So lesson in life, never forget your notes because you know, your notes come in handy later. I definitely agree on that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it for the uh, we're in between forums. So let's go over to quickly discuss about the questions on the YouTube channel, which there are only just a handful of them. So uh, we have one from Joshua Moore, and he says, what was your favorite part on helping making the episodes for us told by Ginger? I loved the last punch-up meetings we would have where, you know, we would have the last script. You'd call it, you know, you'd call it final, but it wasn't, you know, draft final. And we would, you know, Emily and I would, independent of one another, like just write jokes in the margin and then run them through past each other. Um, and then recording and directing the cast. I love directing the cast. It, it's kind of the equivalent, I guess, of opening night for when you've been on a, you've been working on a script for so long. When you finally hear the actors say those words, uh, it really was. It's just amazing. And we had the most amazing Lorraine Newman, uh, in particular. Like losing Nana Bishop was one of her favorite episodes, even though she didn't have a lot to do in it. But she, she was just like, "This is why I love doing this show. It's because you're not afraid to go near these kind of subjects." And uh, yeah, so the, the definitely the record was the. The magic and of course you know not getting into spoilers but we do have a question <sighs> for from googamp32 and he asks ask him if he thinks a continuation of as told by ginger with ginger as an adult could work i don't know i don't think so you know um uh we did it with the Rugrats and I don't ever really feel good about that. That was meant to be a one ten tenth year anniversary special where the Rugrats imagine themselves ten years older. That special was such a gigantic success for, for Nickelodeon that they made us do that as a series, despite my saying, no, it's, you can't. That's just like, you know, Pebbles and Bam Bam growing up. Don't. And 
so I don't know if I'd ever want to. I think, um, you know, I think the wedding frame was was like the only way to ever look at that part of life. Yeah, and I just want to give um, my my um, sincere opinion about All Grown Up because I actually did get a question from somebody saying, what are your thoughts on All Grown Up? And I was like, okay, um, I think in my personal opinion, I think that the idea, I mean, the concept is an interesting idea, but I think that the execution definitely needed a lot of work. Like, you know, they. I, I think that the things that I genuinely loved about All Grown Up was when they made callbacks to, like, the earlier episodes. But anytime that they try to do something like, oh, you know, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. And it's like, as Told by Ginger did it better. At least it was more dramatic. At least it took more risks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was really a, it was really a case where it was a commercial decision as a money maker, you know, thinking, well, this is the next iteration, clearly. And in fact, a little known fact is that at that time, between us making the 10 year anniversary special, which was all grown up was supposed to be just that um, we were in production on a really awesome new show called Preschool Days, D-A-Z-E, with uh, Susie and Angelica at preschool, with Vicki Lewis as the teacher, with um, a boy who wears a dress to class. I mean, it was so good that um, it was so good and it was so sad that Nickelodeon said, oh, you know what? Sorry, we're going to go with this one. And we'd wrote, we'd written like 13 episodes of that show. And well, it was, it's a very sad tale in the Rugrats lore for sure. Okay. So what you're trying to say is, is that the preschool days that you pitched is much different than the preschool days that eventually happened. No, they never made preschool days. No, they did. There's episodes. Yeah, there Uh, is a preschool days. It's not great. It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it exists, yeah. And it, they are painful. <laughs> it, it came out in 2008. They only made four episodes, and it is, like, one of the worst things you will ever watch. So I guess you didn't you didn't have a part in that, though, I, it sounds like. No, no, I left class in 2002, <laughs> so wow. I guess they picked it back up, and I, I don't know who they had do it. I can't believe you never knew that. That's so no, crazy. No, you could bowl me over with a feather right now. That is amazing. <laughs> Wow, so you pitched the idea, they said no, and then, like, six years later, they're like, hmm, what was that idea that Eric had about the girl, you know, them going to preschool? Let's do that instead. Yeah, no, it probably would have been even a year before that, too, and we... We wrote scripts, so I, I presume what happened is now. Now you're going to make me. I mean, as soon as we're done, I'm going to YouTube. Um, don't watch it, please. Uh, don't watch no, it. No, no. Now I'm like, you know, it's going to be like eye surgery channel. I need to see. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, no, because we we had this. It was it was marvelous. It was working so well, and we were actually we were writing them and at animatic. So I, what I suspect happened was the new team that was running Klasky by whenever that was say 2006 because it takes about a year to make them they would have been the ones who just picked it up and decided to relaunch it and no no they're busted i can't wait to look at this oh Oh god God. okay you know what you you definitely have to email me as soon as you're done with this 
please let me know okay. your thoughts. I will. And I will. I will I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, I will. I will definitely give an update, follow up in the um, in the podcast because <laughs> please yeah. do. Please vindicate me. I'm not gonna lie. I was a little worried. You were like, we had this great show, preschool days. I was like, you you thought that was great. I'm glad to know that wasn't it. So. <laughs> oh my god, it can't possibly be. I promise. Okay, one more question, and it's from Augusto Martinez, and he said, what was your favorite moment from June Class Confidential? The scene with Joanne Bishop and Hoodsey when he actually puts the blame on his mood on Mary Todd Lincoln and the idea that, you know, that maybe she didn't have someone to talk to about her problems and maybe she didn't really want to go to the play. I, that's like one of my most favorite scenes I've ever written because it's just so preposterous. And I love, I love putting Joanne in that. And she was such a fun character, right? So to put her against the wall like that was always what was always fun. Yeah. All right. And our final question is: When looking back on the show as a whole, how do you feel about it now? I, it is still after I think I've produced more than five hundred half hours of television by this point it's still the thing my most proudest accomplishment and i i still have great affection and even just participating in this and hearing how you guys love this show and there's a community that still talk about it and and i hear about it there's a german broadcaster here who always tells me she didn't take spongebob but she took ginger and she's glad because it was a it was a work of art and those are the kind of that's the kind of uh, or, or flattery you can't. It, you just, it's, it's so rewarding. And uh, it goes back, Lauren Michaels used to say, don't produce a show you wouldn't watch yourself. And this was the show that I most wanted to watch, really. That's great. All right. I think that should be it for this episode. So please, Eric, uh, why don't you share what upcoming projects you have? And yeah, please plug and promote your stuff. Uh, it's really nice. Well, we have a new preschool series uh, promote, uh, premiering uh, in July on NBC Sprout uh, called Cody Kapow. Um, and uh, th- I think that's probably all that we have going on in the U.S. We have a show called Flugels, which is also on Sprout. Um, and uh, we do a lot. We're doing a lot of live action stuff right now for the BBC and Disney Europe. Um, so uh, I'll keep you posted when those make it back to America. Great. Well, again, thank you so much, Eric, for your time. We really do appreciate Uh, it. It's been a pleasure, really. Thank you so much for doing this. That's it for this episode of We're In Between. Let us know in the comments below about your favorite episodes that Eric has ever written or any shows that Eric has been involved in. So, yeah, that's it. Hope to see you around soon, and thank you for listening.